Well, good evening. It's nice to be with you on this beautiful November night in the UP. It'll go away. We're going to continue in the Gospel of Luke and, and go back over just a portion of the last reading. Uh, the, the message tonight will be from Luke chapter 23, verses 44 through 47. It says, It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, while the sunlights failed. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, crying with a loud voice, said, Father, Into your hands I commend my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. When the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God and said, Certainly, this man was innocent. There's three very short verses that are packed with a whole lot of significance. And so, uh, instead of taking several hours to unpack all of it, you could really spend a lifetime in just those three verses. We're going to focus in on just one particular point. We could discuss things like how three days of darkness preceded the first Passover and Israel's exodus from Egypt, and how now three hours of darkness would precede the death of the Lamb of God for the sins of the world. We could talk for a long time about the the curtain of the temple being torn in two from top to bottom, uh, signifying that that separation between God and man was now gone in Christ Jesus. We could talk about his last words, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit a bedtime prayer used by Jewish children that tells how our Lord and Savior died, confidently, willingly, and victoriously. As you can see, three short verses are packed with a whole lot of significance, but what stood out to me and and what we're going to focus on this evening is verse 47. We have this this Roman centurion, an officer, a commander over 80 to 100 men in the Roman army, and he's charged with watching Jesus and the criminals on either side die. And upon seeing Jesus breathe his last, he praised God. And and it's not like this joyful praise of God, but that he exalted God in the highest. And he looked at Jesus and said, certainly this man was innocent. What stood out to me in that that particular statement is that word innocent. It literally means not guilty. The the prefix in, not, and nascent, guilty. It means not guilty. We know it as a legal term that we might see in a court of law. Humans have come up with all kinds of systems of justice throughout the ages to determine whether or not a person is guilty of a crime. In our legal system, we have what are called burden of proof standards. And so for various situations, working from like a, the lowest level up, we have reasonable suspicion. You might be familiar with these terms. Probable cause, a preponderance of the evidence, meaning it's more likely than not that you committed a crime clear and convincing evidence. And then on top of that list, if, if one of us was to go to a trial before a jury of our peers and were charged with a crime, that jury would need to find guilt beyond a reasonable doubt in order to convict someone. It's the highest burden of proof that there is, maybe in any system that the world has ever known. If one juror has any reasonable doubt, there is no conviction. It's a very, very high standard. But as we all know, that even with all the, the fail-safes, that we've worked into our system, every once in a while we still get it wrong. Every once in a while, the the guilty go free and the innocent get convicted. Not often, but it does happen. And so here on Good Friday, we look to Jesus on the cross. Factually, truly, and eternally innocent. The centurion knew it. One of the thieves on the cross next to him knew it. Pilate and his wife both knew it. 
Yet we have Jesus on the cross dying a criminal's death, and we might ask why. And the answer is because you and I and all humanity are truly, factually guilty. There is no reasonable doubt standard in God's courtroom. In God's court, there is no doubt. When God declares that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, it means just that. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And his word tells us the wages of sin are death. We go all the way, all the way back to the very beginning. We go all the way back to the garden. God said to Adam and Eve, if you do this thing, you will surely die. And if you know the story, we know that a tempter, that serpent, came into the scene and, and he, his, as he always has. Did God really say that? Surely God didn't say that. You won't surely die. And we know based on their choice that that day they chose disobedience to God. And sin and death entered the human race and has been passed down from generation to generation all the way to each one of us. There is a spiritual death in sin that separates us from God with no possible solution. And there is an eventual physical death and eternal separation from God in a real place of torment called hell. So we have, as you can see, two massive problems that we cannot possibly solve on our own, try as we may. They are sin and death. The example I like to use is a a free throw contest. Imagine a free throw contest shooting basketball, and you have to make 10 out of 10 free throws to make it to the next round. If you miss the first free throw, it doesn't matter how good you do on the next nine, you've already fallen short of the standard. And it also does no good to compare ourselves to the person who missed six or seven or eight or maybe even all ten because we all missed the standard and fell short. But God, who is rich in mercy, there's good news coming in just a few days, right? But God, who is rich in mercy. This is my two, two of my favorite words in the Bible, but God. When, when there is no human, humanly possible way, we can look at Scripture that says, but God who is rich in mercy. But God who so loved the world sent His Son Jesus, truly perfect in every sense, innocent, without sin, the Lamb without spot or blemish, perfectly obedient to the Father, even when His obedience led Him to the cross. Earlier on in Jesus' ministry, as recorded for us in the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verses 14 through 18. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for my sheep. I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life in order to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. And so later on when he's in the garden as we read about, and and he's crying out to God, Father, let this cup pass from me. He closes with, Father, not my will, but yours be done. And in that statement, we know that this was a willing sacrifice that he was innocent, and he chose this path out of obedience to the Father's will. And on the cross, he took our sins upon himself 
along with the separation from God and the death we deserved, and he sacrificed himself for us. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. And so like John the Baptist, we might say, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You know, as we think about this day, we often imagine the intensity of the physical suffering that Jesus endured on the cross in the moments leading up to it. And it was intense, no doubt. And, and I, don't, I can't say that I know this, but my guess is that it's nothing compared to what was happening spiritually. It was nothing compared to what he endured spiritually. He was innocent. He was innocent. He never sinned. He never experienced the thing that separates us from God. He walked in eternity past in perfect union with his Father. And on the cross for the first time since before the foundations of the earth, he had to experience what it was like to be a sinner. Not the fleeting pleasures of sin, only the pain. And not because he sinned, but because we've sinned. The nails that we were given, that, that maybe if you, if you want to grab it and put it in your hand right now and think about it. Those nails are a symbol and a reminder of our sin and guilt. The guilt that brought his death. His death on the cross. But there's good news coming because in his innocent and sacrificial death, he bought us life. God's perfect plan to be just and the justifier of those who place their faith in Jesus came to pass on the cross. And we see God's justice, his wrath, his righteousness poured out right alongside of his perfect love, his mercy, and his forgiveness for sinners. All of those things together in perfect harmony in the sacrifice of Jesus. He paid our ransom on the cross, took the punishment we deserved, bore our sins and the sins of the world, and in doing so, opened up the way for us to be set free from the, the law of sin and death through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Easter is coming right around the corner. And in just a few days, we're going to celebrate the resurrection. And the kids are going to get dressed up, and the family's going to get dressed up, and you're going to go out and take pictures of them, maybe next to a snowbank to send to your friends <laughs> downstate and say, look where I live. We're going to paint and hunt for Easter eggs. We're going to make big, huge meals. And those things are all fine and good. But we can't breeze past the sacrifice on the way to the celebration. Let's not allow, in this moment, the anticipation of Sunday to cloud out the seriousness of what happened on Friday on that cross. I want to read Ephesians chapter 2, 1-9. through nine. It says, You were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once lived, following the course of this world, following the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now work among those who are disobedient. All of us once lived among them in the passions of our flesh, following the desires of flesh and senses, and we were by nature children of wrath like everyone else. But God, but God who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raises us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of your own doing. 
It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. The sacrifice holds a special significance. Stories of sacrifice resonate with us. I was thinking of the movie Saving Private Ryan. If you've seen that, it's a, it's a story of a, a last surviving child of a, of a family of, I think, three or maybe four boys in World War II. The others were killed in action, and so uh, a company of men led by Tom Hanks goes out to rescue Private Ryan, uh, to take him off the front line so that his parents won't lose all of their children. And in the course of going to save Private Ryan, many of them die, including Tom Hanks in the very end, dies. And he tells, as I was talking to Pastor John, this is where the, the image kind of falls apart a little bit because Tom Hanks tells him, earn this. As I thought about this, Private Ryan really couldn't earn the sacrifice that those men made for him. What he was saying was live in a way that's worthy of what we've done for you. And I think that's what we see when we look at the sacrifice of Jesus. We see one who laid down everything for us. And there's nothing, we come to the table with nothing to offer but sin and guilt. We could never possibly earn it. Just as the Apostle Paul just wrote. But the Apostle Paul also wrote, Therefore, live your lives in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. To the church in Philippi. Because of the greatness of the sacrifice, it should stir something up inside of us. It says, Lord, my desire is to live for you. You have given everything for me. And out of, out of the gratitude for what you've paid, I surrender everything to you. And so tonight, as we look at the cross, hopefully with fresh eyes, and see what he sacrificed for our sins, Perhaps we'll look at it and, and, and the Lord would stir up a, a new level of gratitude in our hearts and, and a new level of humility at the thought of what he gave for us. Something that we could not overcome on our own. He made a way. Pastor John is going to come up and lead us in the Lord's Supper. And I want to pray. And as I pray, I want to just take a moment and just reflect on what the Lord did for us. And let's pray that maybe as we reflect on that, the Lord would do a transforming work in our hearts so that we don't leave this place the same way that we came in. Father in heaven, Lord, we remember on this holy day the price that you paid for us, Lord. That out of the great love that you have for us and out of your richness and mercy, you sent your Son to accomplish what we could never accomplish, Lord, to overcome our two greatest enemies, sin and death. And we thank you for that from the, the, the deepest parts of our heart, Lord. As we reflect on the sacrifice that you made on our behalf, Lord, would you stir us up? Would you impart to us a, a new understanding of, of what you paid so that we would grow in love and humility and grace, so that we would grow to become more and more like Christ every day as, as we go into our workplaces, as we go into our school, as we serve in our communities, Lord, would we be good image bearers of our Savior, Lord. So use this time, Father God, to do a work in us. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you that Easter Sunday is right around the corner, that there is power over death, that you have given eternal life through your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose powerful name we pray. Amen.